0: Well, good morning everyone. We want to welcome you to the services here of Grace Church at Franklin. In Franklin, Tennessee. We're located just a few minutes south of Nashville, Tennessee. We're at 4052 Arno Road here in Franklin. We'd love to have you. Very conveniently located only about a half a mile away, or well, maybe a mile off of I-65 at Exit 65, which is Highway 96. We want you to know that you can view our services on YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. Glad to have you tuning in today. Glad to have all of you who are present here to worship with us. This is the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday of the month, we observe the Lord's Supper, and we also have fellowship a fellowship dinner after the morning service. To begin our service this morning, one of our elders, Elder Joe Turner, is going to read the scripture and lead us in prayer. Brother Turner. Well,
1: good morning, Grace Church. i was going to read a passage of scripture from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. After speaking a word of warning to the people, Paul gives a a brief contrast of where people are and what we should be doing. He says, reading from chapter 12, verse 18, You've not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm to a trumpet blast, or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not hear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel. So see to it. That you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That has created things so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thankfully, as we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, we don't know God as a consuming fire, but as a loving Father because he has purchased us unto himself by his blood. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today that you have called us out of a kingdom of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of thy dear son. That no longer when we hear thy word do we have to hear it with fear and with trembling, but we can hear it with gladness of heart. That we can hear it as it is intended to be the truth in the Lord Jesus Christ that is a source of hope for us, a source of strength and a source of comfort. We ask that as we assemble here today that we have come to this place truly to worship you, to give praise to you who alone art worthy to receive it. For we do thank you for the gift of thy Son, Thank you that Christ came into the world and gave himself for us that we might be called the sons of the living God. We ask your blessings now upon the services today that all that is said and done might be done to the glory and honor of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
2: Grace Church, good morning. If you all would stand with me, number 449 in the hymnal, the fitting hymn after what we just heard, and let's petition the Lord to come and bless us as we seek to worship Him despite our own weaknesses. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son. Who yielded his life And atonement for sin And opened the life gate That all may go in Praise the Lord, praise the Lord Let the earth hear his voice Praise the Lord, praise the Lord And let the people rejoice O oh, come To the Father through Jesus the Son And give Him the glory Great things He hath done O perfect redemption The purchase of blood To every believer The promise of God The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the father through jesus the son and give him the glory great things he hath done great things he hath taught us great things he hath done and great are rejoicing through jesus the son but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord and let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord and let the people rejoice. O oh, come, To the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He hath done. Amen. Okay, I believe you can all be seated.
0: This is the first Sunday of the month of August. Isn't that strange? I went to sleep last night. It was January. (laughs) I woke up this morning, and it's August. Unbelievable. Soon be September. We'll be in the fall of the year. And before you know it, the winter will be here. It's been a very, very fast year for me. But you know what that means? It means that uh, when you were in school and you were in a really dull class, a class that you didn't like and you didn't think the teacher was interesting, an hour class seemed like it lasted half a day. But if you're in a class and you love the subject and the teacher is interesting, it flies by. And life is like a classroom. And when you're enjoying it, it flies by. That's the thing. We've all been through a lot this year since 2020 with the coronavirus. But here we are today. The Lord has brought us into this house to worship him. And so we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is our way of remembering our Lord in his death. I always like to remind you that the Lord's Supper was held on the very same date the eve of the Passover. The Passover was celebrated by Israel when they were delivered from Egypt. Each house had to have a lamb, and uh, after slaying the lamb, they took the blood and put it on the doorpost of their homes, and then they consumed the lamb, they ate the lamb. And the Lord said, I'm coming through the land of Egypt tonight at midnight, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Hence, we get the term Passover. We read in the New Testament that our Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that he is our Passover Lamb. And he instructed his disciples to remember him in his death by having what we call the Lord's Supper, in which we take bread, which represents the body of the Lord, and wine, which represents the blood of the Lord, asking him to sanctify his life and his death to us. And we remember him, and therefore we have our assurance of our salvation, because in remembering him in his death, we remember all the promises that he made to us. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we celebrate our salvation. In the death of Christ, we have a life. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thanking you. That in your wisdom, you found a way to be just and to justify by faith. The sinner that believes in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are thankful, Father, that you are a God who is merciful and just, that you found a way to be just and merciful. We thank you this morning that you gave your only begotten Son, that he took a body. In order that he might lay it down for our sakes. And that you resurrected him on the third day. He ascended into the heavens. And he is sitting at the right hand of all power and authority. There to make intercession for all who come unto thee by him. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And we read in your word that he will continue to sit there until all that he intended to save are saved. To the whole house of God is saved and reconciled unto thee, both Jew and Gentile. We ask you to bless us this morning as we remember our Lord in his death, to sanctify it to our minds and hearts as we renew our faith and our commitment in him. We thank you for it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Since 2020, we've observed the Lord's Supper in a slightly different way. I'm going to ask you to all stand up. Now, there's no pressure on anybody to observe this supper. This is between you and the Lord. This is not the Grace Church Supper. This is the Lord's Supper. So it's between you and the Lord. But if you wish to observe the supper as they are playing the music, we want you to come forward row by row and uh, be sure to get two cups. One cup has bread and one cup has wine. Get that returned to your seat after everyone is served. Then I will lead you and we'll all partake together. OK. All right. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over his head, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled when it said he was numbered with the transgressors, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and can build it again in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They that were crucified with him also were Now it was the sixth hour, about twelve noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is, being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, he's calling for Elias. And one of them ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink saying, let it alone, let's see whether Elias will come and take him down. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the spirit. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw, he cried out and he saw that the Lord had died and given up his spirit He said, truly, this man was the son of God. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his words. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, it is written, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. The Bible tells us that Jesus took a body in order that he might have blood to lay that body down for our salvation. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that having taken a body he was willing to lay it down for our sake. He said this commandment have I received of my father. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. For as often as you eat this bread. And drink this cup. You do show the Lord's death. Until he come. Whosoever shall eat this bread. And drink this cup of the Lord. Unworthily. Doesn't mean we're drinking a toast. For our worthiness. It means that when we. Take it in a light and flippant manner, in a manner that's not solemn, that's not in reverence. That person shall we be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and then let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself are not discerning the Lord's body. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. That is, the judgment that God gives out to his children is the difference between dealing with a criminal and dealing with your children. Understand the difference? You don't intend to kill your children, though sometimes you may feel like it. But you chasten them to teach them a lesson. And the Lord does that with his children. It's not a judgment, it's not a final judgment of casting us off from his presence. And it says this for when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the Lord, with the world. That we should not be condemned with the world. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus, thanking you for this. The Lord's Supper that reminds us again of the horrible sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. To take our place, to stand in our very room instead, to be our substitute. To receive all of the judgment that we so richly deserve. That he might give unto us his righteousness. We thank you, we praise you. We stand in awe and amazement thy great salvation as the writer of scripture has said how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation we thank you we praise you in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake amen all right I'm going to ask Joshua to come lead us in one more hymn and then we're going to have a study okay
2: So this next one is an old Harriet Beecher Stowe hymn. Let's see, what year? Does it say what year? Well, she was 1812 to 1896, so she wrote it somewhere there, probably near the latter part of her life, I would say, or middle. So 1800s, uh, Still, Still with Thee, number 72 in your hymnal. Beautiful hymn. If you don't know it, just listen along for the first line or so, and then try and sing. Still, still with thee When purple morning breaketh When the bird waketh and the shadows flee Fairer than morning, lovelier than daylight Dawns the sweet consciousness, I am with Thee, alone with Thee. Amid the mystic shadows, the solemn hush of nature newly born, alone with Thee. Godless adoration in the calm dew and freshness of the morn, still, still with thee, as to each newborn morning, of fresh and solemn splendor still is given. So doth this blessed consciousness awaking, Breathe each day nearness unto thee in heaven. When sinks the soul, subdued by toil to slumber, its closing eyes look up to thee in prayer sweet the repose beneath thy wings or shading but sweeter still to wake and find thee there verse five So shall it be at last in that bright morning, When the soul waketh and life's shadows flee. Oh, in that hour fairer than daylight dawning, Shall rise the glorious God I am with thee. Amen. That's a good hymn, isn't it? Beautiful hymn. 72 in the hymnal, if y'all ever want to look it up and, and learn about it. Sorry, we lost that on the screen. But, Brother Bill, I believe that's all we have, so. Okay.
0: going to ask you to open your Bibles again to the book of Genesis. We're glad to see all of you here today, and uh, pray the Lord will bless you today as you worship here with us. As I have already said, this is the first Sunday of the month, and after the service today we'll have lunch, we'll have dinner in the fellowship hall, uh, and uh, get to know each other a little better, and Talk about whatever we've studied here this morning. You can open your Bibles to Genesis 43, and I'll ask you to stand one more time with me for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 43. And just to get some idea of what we're going to study this morning, we'll read only one verse, chapter 43. And we'll read in verse 26. The brothers of Joseph are in their second trip to Egypt. And now they're going to dine with the governor of Egypt. They do not know that the governor is their brother. They're going to dine with him at noon. Verse 26. Verse 20, Five, I said 26. Verse 25. They made ready the present against Joseph, and they came at noon, and they heard that they should eat there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand into their house, and they bowed themselves to the earth. May the Lord add his blessings on the reading of his word, and let God's people say, praise the Lord, and you may be seated Now we're going to have a little different study today. I'm going to bring you a study in which I will ask you to look into your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, look around there in front of you and there should be a pew Bible for you. We purchased some, I don't know, 25 pew Bibles Bibles a while back and put them out so everybody would have a Bible. And if you have one, you can go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. Why are they in Egypt? Why does all of this happen? How did Joseph get down to Egypt? What was the the human cause of it? Now, we know the divine cause. We know that God had a purpose in it. We know that he had given Joseph some dreams, and in the dreams he basically said that his family were going to bow down to him. Of course, they said they never would. Even his father said, no, we will not bow down to you. And so when the famine, when a famine came, they had to make a trip into Egypt. Joseph recognized them immediately, but they did not recognize him. And this is the second time They have come into Egypt. But the question I'm putting to your mind this morning, and this will be the burden of our study, is humanly speaking. Humanly speaking, what is the cause of all of this? Humanly speaking. The cause of it is the envy and the jealousy of the brothers of Joseph. If they hadn't been envious and jealous of him, they wouldn't have sold him. If they hadn't sold him, he would not have gotten down into Egypt. If he hadn't gotten down into Egypt, he wouldn't have been sold as a slave. He wouldn't have been been betrayed by a woman. He wouldn't have been there to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. The scriptures and all the promises that God made to Abraham, you can throw all that out the door. The reason they're in Egypt is because, humanly speaking, because of the envy and the jealousy of the brothers of Joseph. But for their envy and their jealousy, the history of the world would have been radically different. The envy and the jealousy of the brothers of Joseph had a great and negative effect upon their general attitude toward him. You see, when one is envious or jealous of another, nothing that person says or does will be valued or appreciated. And the reason for this, of course, is because anything they say or do only heightens the envy and the jealousy. To approve of them by any means only shows that they may be worthy of the praise or the position or the power that's given unto them, and this in turn makes the jealous person even more jealous and even more envious. Now, envy and jealousy have a long history in the earth, maybe even to the origin of evil in this universe. Could envy and jealousy be the cause of the origin of sin? It may be that envy and jealousy is the root cause of the very existence of what the Bible calls sin. I know you've thought about it. Why should Lucifer, the one we call the devil and Satan, why should he have rebelled against his creator his God, his Father, why indeed the Bible speaks of the origin of sin and rebellion against God as a mystery, the mysterion anomia, the mystery of lawlessness. And it may be that rebellion rose up in the heart, in the soul, in the mind of Lucifer, Because he was envious, he was jealous of the sovereign person, power, and position of the Lord. The only one, apparently, who was over him, who commanded him, and whose glory he could not share. Isaiah has written in Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I will be like the Most High. Now, who introduced sin into the human race? Well, Lucifer did. Lucifer did. And you know, we always act according to our nature. And that same attitude was conveyed to Adam because that attitude is certainly common among men. There always seems to be among human beings someone who is not boss who wants to be. Who sees himself as more intelligent, more talented, more powerful, more insightful, more deserving than the one who has the highest position or the most influence in the company. Where did that come from? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that it came from Lucifer. You're in John chapter 8. I ask you to turn there a little earlier. It is revealed in the Bible that the enemies of Christ were envious of him and jealous of him. And because of this, they often assailed him in public, trying to catch him in a lie or contradiction or some gross error regarding the law and the Scripture. The Lord, of course, was aware of this, and he was always victorious over him. But we find an example of this in God, John's Gospel, chapter 8. But what may be even more important is the revelation that Jesus gives us of the cause of their attacks upon him. Now notice in John, chapter 8, the first 11 verses are about the woman caught in adultery. So The question here is, is Jesus going to honor the law He claims not to be a breaker of the law. They brought a woman taken in adultery, verse 3. And then they pulled her right right into the midst. They said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, verse 4, in the very act. Now Moses commanded us, verse 5, that she should be stoned. What did you say? And notice it says this, they said, tempting him might have some way to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground as though he didn't hear them. Some theologians have suggested he wrote the name of the man who was in the group of the Pharisees (laughs) who was guilty of being with a woman. I don't know what he wrote on the ground. But when he continued, they they continued asking him, and he lifted up himself, verse 7. The Jewish law said if you brought a person into the court and they were found guilty of being stoned to death. That was the way the Jews executed people. They didn't execute them by crucifixion. They didn't execute them by hanging. Didn't have any guns. They executed them by stoning them to death. But to keep people honest, the person who had brought the accusation had to throw the first stone. If if it's that serious with you, we ought to remember that when we think we've got a serious problem. If it's not serious enough for us to go and confront the person in the presence of the elders of the church, it's not serious enough to worry about. And so... He said, uh, let him that is without sin among you, verse 7, let him cast the first stone. And then he stooped back down. And of course it says in verse 9, they were each convicted by their own conscience, because none of them there were without sin. And they left one by one, beginning at the oldest. The oldest guys got it first. The Youngest fellows took them a little while. And then finally they left, and nobody was there but the woman. And Jesus lifted up himself, and he said, Where are your accusers? Does no man condemn you? No man condemn you? And she said, No man, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn They Go and sin no more. Then in the 12th through the 20th verse, we find that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. The world walks in darkness. And he has come to bring light. Verses 12 through 20. He says that without him, you're in darkness. Verses 21 through 30 he talks to us about the fatal judgment upon all believers, including even the Jews. Notice verse 21, Jesus said, I'm going my way, and you'll seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. Verse 24, I said therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins for you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And they said, who are you? And he said, I've been telling you the whole time who I am. I have many things to say to you, verse 26. Many things to say. You can't bear them right now, but I'm going to say a lot of things to you. Verses 21 through 30, again, he's the fatal He speaks of the judgment upon all unbelievers. Verse 31 through 37, he talks to us about the spiritual bondage and the true liberty. That's where we found those words, if the Son sets you free. Look at verse 32, you shall know the truth, the truth will make you free. They said, verse 33, well we're Abraham's seed, we've never been in bondage. Well, of course, I've spoken many times from that passage, you can't set free men free. In other words, the only time a person is going to feel their need of a Savior is when they know that they're a sinner. The only time you're going to want to really get out of jail is when you're in jail and you feel you're in jail. The only time you're going to want to be set free is when you know you're in bondage. And only the Lord can show us that, because we all see ourselves as free men, free from everything, and everyone even free from God. He can't do a thing with us unless we let him. Then in verses 38 through 47, there's a conversation. Jesus teaches them about their father and his father. Now, he says in verse 38, we've got different fathers I speak that, verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Then verses 39 and 40, they said, well, Abraham is our father. And in verses 39 and 40, Jesus denies that Abraham is their father. He said, if you were the children of Abraham, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. Then verses 41 and 42, he denies that they are children of God. He keeps saying, you do the deeds of your father. Verse 41, they said, uh, we've got one father, and that's God. And he said, well, if God were your father, verse 42, you'd love me. I am the love of God personified. I proceeded forth and came from God. I didn't come of myself. He sent me. He denies that God is their father. Then verses 43 and 44, he accuses them of not understanding him because they cannot hear him, and they cannot hear him because they will not hear him, and they will not hear him because of who spawned them, of whose children they are. Their father is the devil himself. And they are acting in his stead as his children, speaking his mind. Do you not? Why don't you understand my speech? Verse 43, because you can't hear my word. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. He's a liar, and he's the father of the lie and liars. And because I tell you the truth, verse 45, you don't believe me. In verses 45 through 50, Jesus is the truth of God, (coughs) the word of God in the flesh, but they will not hear him because they are not of God. And they're so blind that they ended up accusing him. Verse 48, they accuse him of being a devil. Did we not say that you are a Samaritan and you have a devil? Verse 48. You see, my friends, to the devil's crowd... The God of the Bible and his son and his people are evil because they bear witness to the truth. That's what's happening in our society now. Good has become evil. Evil has become good. If you stand against truth, you're a bigot. You're evil. You're wicked. If you stand for light... They say you're in the dark. Verses 49 and 50, Jesus said that he nor his people seek their own glory, but they seek the glory of the Father and the glory of his Son. And of course, this is death to the religious world. Why is it death to the religious world To seek the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it? Because men are jealous of Jesus. They want to share his glory. He can do a lot. But he can't do anything with me without my permission. The Bible says in John's Gospel chapter 6. I'm going to read it to you. Verse forty four No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up in the last day and then he repeats that in verse sixty five I said unto you no man can come to me except the given to me and my father and what did they think of that statement? Look at verse 66, John chapter 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples, not the crowd, his disciples, went back and walked no more with him. Men want to share in the glory. Back to John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 51 through 53. Jesus says that the only way to escape eternal death is to believe on him, to listen to him, and to obey him. He's the Savior of all men, even Abraham. Jesus, in verse 54 through 58, he calls them liars, and he asserts that he existed before Abraham. They said, you're not even 50 years old. Look at verse 51. Verse 51, John 8. If a man keep my saying, he'll never see death. Then the Jews said, now we know you have a devil. Abraham is dead, the prophets are dead, and you saying, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who are you making yourself? They don't understand That the death of the body is not the death he has in mind. That's just the beginning of it. The death he has in mind is eternal separation from God in hell. That's the death. It's called the second death. When death, the death of the body and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And he says that if you keep his saying, he says if you believe on him, he said if you embrace him, you'll never see that death. You'll never see that. They said, well, you must be crazy. Abraham's dead. You're telling me you're greater than our father Abraham? Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? The prophets are dead? He said, One thing for sure, I'm not honoring myself. Verse 54. It's my father that's honoring me. You say he's your God, but you don't know him. Verse 55. Verse 55. You don't know him. And if I said I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you. I thought Jesus didn't ever say anything like that. I thought he was just just a little little guy with little little nice hands that went around saying God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not what he says here. Let me tell you something. If you come to the Lord Jesus as a sinner and you confess yourself to be a sinner and that you deserve judgment, but you're clinging to him, he'll receive you. But if you don't, you're full of yourself. You're full of what we call self-righteousness. That's what these Pharisees were. They were full of themselves. And they couldn't seek the glory of God because they were too busy seeking their own honor. And they're too busy seeking their own honor because they're children of the devil. And they're children of the devil it manifests their envy and their jealousy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells them in verse 56, this is an amazing verse. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. <laughs> and he saw it and he was glad. And the Jews said, verse 57, they said, You're not even 50 years old. <laughs> and you've seen Abraham? He said, I got news for you. Verse 58 Before Abraham was, I am. I am. God in the flesh. I am the word of God. I am the second person of the Godhead. I was around before Abraham was ever thought about. Then what did they think of all that? Well, verse 59, they took up stones to stone him. But he went out of the temple through the midst of them and passed by. What is their problem? Can't we see the envy and the jealousy of these people? And Jesus said, he told them, we just read it, your father is the devil. And so I say perhaps the mysterion anomia, the mystery of lawlessness, how sin got into this universe was spawned through envy and jealousy. What is envy and what is jealousy and how do they differ? According to the dictionary, quote, envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possession, someone else's qualities, or someone else's fortune. Envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing, resentful, aroused by someone else's possession, qualities, and fortune. It expresses itself as a desire to have what belongs to another, whether that is material or immaterial. We can be envious of, a, of another's personality of another's popularity, of another's possessions. We can resent the advantage enjoyed enjoyed by someone else. What's the difference between envy and jealousy? Well, envy makes us want what another possesses. But jealousy makes us feel threatened by that person are their possessions? Now, James the Apostle tells us in James chapter three and verse sixteen that where there is envy and jealousy, there is strife, there is selfishness, there is disorder, there is confusion of all kinds. Let me quote it to you. The King James says this: "Where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work." That's James three sixteen. The English version has it this way, where there is jealousy and self-seeking or selfishness, there is also disorder in every kind of evil. The New American Standard Version has it, where jealousy and, and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Now Solomon tells us that envy has a double effect upon us, a double effect. Let me read it to you, tell you where it is. We won't look at it right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. Solomon says, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying envy has a double whammy upon us. Number one, he says, all you will get for success You work hard, you stay up at night, you get up early and you work hard, you success. He said, all you're going to get from your neighbor is envy. We're talking about unsaved people, I hope. The second whammy of envy is this. He says that the reason many people work as hard as they do is to have what their neighbor has. Or to have more of it. How do we say it? Keeping up with the Joneses? (laughs) That's what we say. Well, that's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.4. He says, all you're going to get from the world for your success is envy. And the reason some people are working so hard to have what their neighbors have, or to have more than neighbors have, is because of envy. The very first time the word, the Hebrew word, kanal, which is translated envy or jealousy sometimes, is used is in Genesis 26, 14. Don't have to turn there. But the Philistines envied Isaac because the Lord had blessed him with many herds of sheep, cattle, and servants. All right. Now I want you to turn in Genesis chapter 29, please. And if I do not conclude this study today because I have some help to give to you about envy, I will bring that, God willing, in the next study, how we can deal with it in our own lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters, our husbands and wives, or our children, or our colleagues at work. Genesis 29. Where do you think the envy of Joseph's brothers began? Why were they envious of, jo- uh, of Joseph? Well, many people will say, if you ask that question to the average person, why were Joseph's brothers envious of him? They'll say, well, it's because their father, Jacob, was partial to him. And he made him that coat of many colors. Remember that? And I want to show you this morning... That goes back much further than that. If you're in Genesis chapter 29, chapter 29, you're going to see in verses 12 through 14, this is when Jacob was a young man and he had to run away from home. His mother sent him back to their hometown. Because his brother Esau was mad at him. He mad at him because he went in and stole the birthright blessing. Pretended he was Esau. And his old father was almost blind. Gave him the birthright blessing. Now I wish I had time. But when I taught the book of Genesis. I showed you that Esau had already given that birthright blessing away. You remember the day when he came in one day. And, and, and Jacob was making some lentil soup. It was little soup. It's called pottage. And he's making some little soup. And Esau came in and he said, man, I'm about dead. Give me some of that soup. I want some of that soup. And Jacob was always trying to get that birthright blessing. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright and I'll give you some soup. You know what Esau said? What good is the birthright? Ain't nothing. It's just something, some superstition. Give me some of that soup. Sure, you can have it. And he gave Jacob the birthright. And Jacob gave him soup. So later he came back and tried to get it back. And he couldn't. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. It was done, and he couldn't undo it. But he still got mad at Jacob. (laughs) And Jacob's mother thought, I'm sorry, got married at Joseph, and Joseph's mother thought Esau's going to kill him. I heard he's going to be so, he's going to wait till their father is dead, and then he's going to take revenge on him. So she sent him away back home, and this is where we take up the story here in chapter 29. He's just arrived at his destination, and he has explained, verses 12 through 14, that he is their relative. He's their relative. It says brother in most of your uh, translations, but it means relative. Not your actual brother, but your relative. Your brother in the family. Verses 12 through 14. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother, her father's relative, and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father, verse 13, and it came to pass when Laban... That's, uh, that's Rachel's dad. When Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him, and he brought him into his house, and then Joseph, or Jacob tells Laban all of the things that had happened. Now, verses 15 through 20, Laban says, Okay, as long as you're here, there's no sense in you working for me for nothing. How, what do you want? We don't know how long he'd been there. Verses 15 through 20, Laban offers Jacob some wages. You look at verse 15, Laban said unto Jacob, Because you are my brother, you're my relative, should you serve me? Should you work here for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? And it says then that Laban had two daughters. And the oldest one was named Leah, and the youngest one was named Rachel. And Leah was tender-eyed, and Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Many of the translators have differing ideas about Leah was tender-eyed. Some believe that she had beautiful eyes. She had beautiful eyes. Some believe that she had an eye problem. But the point is, her sister Rachel, it says... Looked like Miss America or Miss Universe. It says that Rachel was beautiful and well favored. That's a way of saying she had a knockout figure. That's what that meant. So, by the way, I bet most of you didn't know that most Jewish commentators believe that Leah and Rachel were twins you know that? Most of them believed they were twins, twin sisters. Well, Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel, who was his youngest daughter, and so he agreed, verses 18, 19, and 20, he agreed to work seven years for her hand in marriage. But then Laban tricked him into marrying Leah, verses 21 through 24. People wore veils in those days, and He gave him Leah, and he gave with Leah a maid named Zilpah. That's verse 24. And the next morning, when Leah took off her veil, Jacob said, what in the world is going on here? And he went to Laban, and he said, why have you deceived me? What is this? This is verse 25. Verse 25 of Genesis 29. What is this you have done unto me? Didn't I serve you? For Rachel, why have you beguiled me? Why have you tricked me? And Laban said, oh, I failed to mention the small print in the little contract. You see, in our country, we can't give the youngest daughter away first. We have to give the oldest daughter away. But I tell you what, if you'll agree to seven more years, I'll give you Rachel. Of course, he was in love with Rachel. He wasn't in love with Leah. He was in love with Rachel. So he said, fulfill her week, verse 27, fulfill the seven days, each day standing for a year. And I'll give you Rachel. And Jacob did so, verse 28. Okay. And Laban gave to Rachel, verse 29, he gave her her handmaid, Bilhah. So you got Zilpah with Leah and Bilah with Rachel. Okay? Now here's a man, he's got two wives now. Very, very bad situation. He loved Rachel. You notice that verse 30. Verse 30 makes that very clear. He loved Rachel more than Leah. See that? Very clear. All right, now what happens? Well, let me move along a little quicker. Verse 31 through 35, Leah had one child after another. But verse 31 says Rachel was barren. Leah had four sons in succession. Verse 32 through 35, she had Reuben. She named him Behold a Son. That's what Reuben means. Then she had Simeon, she named him Heard. She said, God has heard me. Then she had Levi, joined to, surely my husband will be joined to me now that I'm giving him the third son. And then she had Judah, which means praise. I will praise the Lord, she said, because the Lord has given me four sons. All right, now let's go to chapter 30. Let's go to chapter 30. It says, here it is now. Here it is. Verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel what? She envied her sister. There's that envy. That's where it started, right there. She envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'm going to die. And he said, do you think I'm God? Verse 2. I, I didn't withhold the fruit from your womb. I can't help it if Leah has one child after another. I don't have anything to do with that, honey. Don't be mad with me about this. God is the one who has withheld you from having children. So she's so desperate. She's been waiting. Now you think about this. Leah has this child. Takes say, let's say she carried it nine months, and there was a little period before she got pregnant again. Now there have been four, five, six years, or more. And Rachel is barren, and Leah is having one child after another. He had four sons, and it says right here in verse one that Rachel envied her sister. She'd been waiting years. Finally, she couldn't take it any longer. That's when she blew up in that first verse of chapter 30. She's envious of her sister, and she's angry with her husband. Not only did a barren woman feel in those days a stigma if they didn't have children, but listen to this now, every Hebrew woman wanted to be the one who gave birth to the Messiah. Maybe the Messiah would be born through me. That's one of the reasons why women wanted to have children. But another is, there was a stigma attached to a woman that didn't have children. So Rachel is so desperate. Now look at verse 3. Okay, I tell you what then, I'm going to give you my maid, and she'll have children in my place. Verse 3. Lo and behold, build her Billa, she has a son, and then she has another one. Verses 4 through 8. She has two, two sons. Billah conceived and bare a son. Verse 6 Rachel said, God has judged me, and he's heard my voice, and he's given me a son. She called his name Dan, which means the judge is coming. <laughs> And then Bill of Rachel's maid, verse 7, conceived again, and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister. Who's she wrestling with? <laughs> she thinks she's wrestling with her sister. She thinks, I'm going to show her I'll have some children by my maid. That's what I'll do. We're doing that today in America. We're letting women have children for other women who don't want to have them or can't have them. And so she has, so here's Leah has had four sons. And then Rachel's maid has two. And even the names of their sons shows the intense rivalry between them. Chapter 29, verse 32, Reuben, behold a son. Verse 33, Simeon, God has heard me. You hear that, Rachel? Do You hear that? God has heard me. He ain't hearing you but he's heard me. Third son, Levi, joined to. Now my husband will be joined to me. Surely he'll love me as much or more than he loves Rachel. And then Judah prays, verse 35, God has heard me and I have a reason to praise him. And then we have Dan in verse 6, a judge and Rachel saw this as judgment on Leah. <laughs> so she named him Judge. Then we have Naphtali, verse 8, which means wrestling. I've been wrestling with my sister. And when Leah didn't get pregnant right away, she said, well, I too can play that game. And so she adopted the strategy of her sister, and she gave her maid Zilpah to Jacob, verse 9. And what happens to Zilpah? Well, she gets pregnant right away. And she has two sons, Gad and Asher. Gad means a troop, and Asher means happy. And the envy and the jealousy increase between Rachel and Leah. If you look in chapter 30, verses 14 and 15. Reuben comes in one day, and he's got some mandrakes. Now, what in the world is mandrake? Well, that's kind of like all the stuff they're selling you today. It claims you can, you can, it'll give you more energy and make you where you can conceive children. He's got some mandrakes, verses 14 and 15. Reuben comes in, and he has some mandrakes, and he gave them to his mother Leah. And Rachel saw it. They called those mandrakes, uh, there was like an ancient fertility plant, and they called them love apples. She said, I want some of that love apple, Rachel said. I saw what your son brought in to you. He brought in some of those love apples. Verse 15, I want one of them. Verse 14, I should have said. And uh, Leah said, verse 15, is, is it a small matter that you've taken my husband? Now you're going to take away my son's mandrakes too? You see the rivalry between the two? Rachel said, okay, I'll let Jacob be with you tonight. Just give me some of those love apples. And Jacob came out of the field and Leah went out to meet him and said, well, you're going to be staying with me tonight. I hired you for the love apples. Poor Jacob. The Bible is very clear. Leah then bore two more sons, verses 16 through 20, Issachar and Zebulun. And then she had a, a daughter named Dinah, verse 21. Meanwhile, after all those years, Rachel is still barren. This is where the envy started right here and the jealousy. But finally, chapter 30, verse 22, finally the Lord remembered her, and she had a boy, and she named him Joseph. You see that? Now I want you to turn to chapter 37. I'm almost through with the lesson for today. Chapter 37, Genesis 37. I think you should be able to understand now where this envy that was in these brothers of Joseph came from. You mothers, in spite of yourself, your children are going to be like you. Whatever you've raised them, however you've raised them. If you've raised them to be critical, they're going to be critical. I remember Henry Mayhan one time saying, the little boy climbed up in his lap, said, Brother Mahan, I like you. He said, you do? He said, yeah. I said, why do you like me? He said, because my mom and daddy like you. <laughs> you think children aren't listening? They aren't watching? They are So the Lord remembers Rachel. She has a boy, and she names him Joseph. The envy and the jealousy of the brothers of Joseph came from their mothers. Leah had seven children, six boys, and one girl before Rachel ever had anything. And that envy and that jealousy was passed along to the sons of Jacob. Now, the God of the Bible is the CEO of the universe. I'm going to leave you with this. And I want you to understand what I'm saying this morning. The God of the Bible doesn't owe anyone anything. He doesn't owe anyone anything. But he is merciful. But he reserves the right to be merciful to whom he will. We we'll read that in Romans 9, verses 7 through 24. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. He reserves the right to bless whom He will in the way He pleases. And this is perhaps the reason, I'm suggesting this to you this morning. This is perhaps the reason why the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is emphasized so strongly throughout the scriptures. And it is for certain, I believe, that envy and jealousy played a role in the rebellion in heaven led by Lucifer against God, and that came down to men. And so now, under the guise of saying, well, we think God is fair. We think more of the will of man than we do the will of God. Why? Because the devil was envious of the Lord. That's why he rebelled against him. He was envious. He was jealous of him. Didn't he say to Adam and Eve in the garden, God's keeping you from some things. He knows that you will be like him once your eyes are open, once you stake out your own independence. Once you take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what some theologians believe was planted in the garden by the devil. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of life, And it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this world was under the dominion of the devil. Listen to me now. Eons before God ever made man. Maybe I'll teach you about that sometimes. And when the devil tempted the Lord Jesus Christ... And he said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world if you'll fall down and worship me. And then he added this to Jesus. He said, for all of these kingdoms have been delivered unto me. This is my domain. I had this long time before there was ever a human being. These kingdoms belong to me in this world. And I'll give them to whomsoever I please. He said, I will be, we read it earlier, I'll be like the Most High. My dear friends, many pretend to be so jealous for the fairness of God that they're willing to limit the will of God to extend sovereignty to the will of man. Be careful that you're not jealous of the right of God to do as He pleases. For I assure you that his good pleasure will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. The so-called Lord's Prayer is not a prayer for us saying maybe his will won't be done. It's a prayer of saying may your will be done. It's my will that your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's the place where God has to bring us. For we say not my will but thy will be done. That's the number one problem between men and God. I assure you, his good pleasure will be done in earth as it is done in heaven. And you want to be sure that you're on the right side of that divine prerogative. God himself is said to be a jealous God, that he will tolerate no rivals, whether that is the God of money are the God of power or the God of a man? Now I'm going to leave you with that today, and then I'm going to show you how to combat envy and jealousy, God willing, in our next study. should be an interesting study. You see now that the jealousy of those boys for Joseph began with their mothers. You see that? It began with their mothers. And that rivalry that existed between the two of them. You can trace that back to old Laban who tricked Joseph. I suppose Joseph could have said, well, I'm going to pull out of this deal because that's not what I uh, or Jacob could have said, I'm going to pull out of this deal because that's not what I agreed to. But that wasn't the thing that was done. The thing that was done was he ended up with two wives and they had two mates. And there was intense rivalry between Rachel and Leah. Leah wanted uh, wanted Jacob to love her uh, like he loved Rachel, and Rachel wanted to have children like Leah had. And that rivalry... And that jealousy and that envy filtered down to those boys. And when Jacob made that little coat of colors for Joseph, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs) That was it. And they sold him. But I want you to understand now, I'm going to leave you, that that jealousy and that envy, I believe, Started with Lucifer who was jealous of God and his prerogative of being sovereign. And he said, I'm going to be like the most high. And he brought that down to human beings. When God made man, he said, I want you to have dominion over the earth. Lucifer said, no, 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 that can't be because you've already given me dominion over the earth. So the way I'm going to make sure that he doesn't have dominion over the earth is I'm going to get him to disobey you. And that's what he did. But through that disobedience, the great mystery of eternal salvation was brought to pass. Because when you get somewhere, you're going to find out the Lord beat you to it. He'd be there waiting on you. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Thank you for being